Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on March seventh, twenty eighteen. But before then, we have a little bit of news to get to. Hot off of his uh, reemergence as part of Dark Knight's Metal and one fourth of the Terrifics, we have a new Plastic Man miniseries coming out, written by Gail Simone, illustrated by Adriana Mello. This is uh, the first solo Plastic Man book in in quite some time. And uh, while it is only a miniseries, I think it's a, a pretty cool uh, idea, and I think it's nice to see Eel O'Brien back in the spotlight a bit. So, boys, what do you think of this new uh, miniseries? I can only hope it's as wonderfully written as her Wonder Woman Conan crossover. I hope I don't fall asleep during this... <laughs> I hope it's the the beautiful celebration of the character that Wonder Woman and Conan was. You mean you hope that the book lives up to its name and the characters are all plastic shells, <laughs> empty plastic shells? <laughs> sure, yeah. Ten out of t- ten nap. Ten out of ten naps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... Uh... I was really actually pretty surprised uh, for Gail Simone to be on this. Do you I think? Thought, um, I thought she was taking a break from DC. I did too. You think she's following Bendis back? Maybe. They seem pretty chummy lately. I mean, she did kind of take a little break, right? I mean, she had about a two-year break. Aside from Wonder Woman Conan, what was the last thing she did? That Secret Six relaunch. Before... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Which was like two years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a break. But, you know, hasn't she written Plastic Man as part of uh, something before, or am I... You may be thinking of the Ralph Dibney in Secret Six. I'm probably thinking of Elongated Man, yes. Well, you could also be thinking for years, years and years and years, there was the rumor that she and Ethan Van Skyver were going to do a Plastic Man series together. Oh, God, that's right. And like there was, I, I want to say there was even perhaps a piece of promo art created or a cover created. Uh, how do you think something like that would go over in the year two thousand and eighteen? I don't want to think. I think it's kind of interesting that this um, isn't connected at all to Terrifics. Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the tone they're go- that that it's going to try to strike. If it's going to be more of an evergreen type thing, not necessarily out of continuity, but like where continuity doesn't really matter, or if it's going to be sort of a, an origin type thing. You know, not not necessarily or- origin, but like a an earlier story. You know what I mean? I wonder, I, that, I'm just kind of baffled by what this could be. That's kind of what it seems to be because uh, because she says in her little interview thing that nobody knows that E.L. O'Brien is Plastic Man and that like even the Justice League doesn't know. But I think we understand that in metal and post-metal, they do know that. So this has got to be 
if it's set in the same continuity, basically, it's got to be earlier. And it sounds like like she's invoking the names Deadpool and Harley Quinn, so it sounds like it's going to be in that sort of vein of like a humor humor comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't say I'm the biggest fan of what Gail Simone has done the last couple of years. I, I think that she... Uh... She had a really good, a really long good streak there for DC, but I can't say I've been a huge fan of anything she's done. Gee, I don't even pre-Flashpoint maybe. Uh, anything I, I really really enjoyed. I mean, there was some decent stuff here and there, but I think it was like the Secret Six pre-Flashpoint was maybe the last thing she wrote that really excited me. So while I, I I do like her as a creator and I think that she might be a good fit for Plastic Man, I I. Uh, it's just been so long since she's written anything that I've, that's really resonated with me that I'm not super excited by the creative team. Whereas if this was, you know, announced in 2010 or 2011, I'd have been ecstatic about it. Um, yeah. Anything else to add? No. All right, then let's move on to the books. Um, Vince, did you read Bane Conquest this week? <laughs> I did. Uh, is there any? Shit. Is there anything to no. say? No, 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 no. I was hoping there was going to be like, oh no, it's great now. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, yeah, this it's issue, wonderful. this issue tied it all together. It's, it finally makes sense now. There's not even any good nut face. Well, <laughs> there has to be. I, I don't, I don't believe you when you say there's not a good nut face. Uh, there is one, but it's a baby. So. <laughs> <coughs> Oh man, baby nut face. That's a that's a whole new that's a whole new ball game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like what we've become. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you can edit. Moving on. Um, oh God, what have we become? <laughs> anyway, let's uh, so about Batman. Batman number forty-two, written by Tom King, illustrated by Michael Janine. Um, oh, brother! This is of, a really bad comic. Yeah, I was gonna say, talk about same shit, different issue. Like this is essentially a replay of last of the last issue of Batman, but somehow even more obnoxious. Um, I I don't even really know what this is. So so Poison Ivy is essentially taking control of everybody. The whole world. The whole world. Entire world. Most powerful metahuman in this universe, apparently. Yeah, and by by essentially just having people eat vegetables. Yes. Yes, and and almost kills Bruce at the end, I guess. Through through Superman. Yeah. He provoked her on purpose. 
Yeah, like, and he's he looks absolutely wrecked. Like he's missing a tooth, and like his his skin is like ripped from his upper lip to his nose. Don't they kind of imply that he that he pretty much died, and she brought that him he back? died, and and she brought him back? Yeah, yeah. yeah ah, much. this is just just such when a... you thought it couldn't get dumber. <laughs> Guys, I haven't said this in a while. This is a garbage comic. <laughs> I, I don't get I, I yeah what is happening I mean this is this is basically what I said last time which was that poison ivy is doing this like uh, omnipotent protector role which is actually a, a bad thing you know which it makes sense for her character but like it's so over the top it's so much you know. It's a lot. It is. It is a lot. And it feels, as we said last time, it feels totally out of sync with who Poison Ivy has been in the DC Universe the last three or four years. And with everything that's just going on anywhere. Like, now, this, this is taking place on a different Earth. Yeah. Um, so this is this sentence is, is a problematic one. I'm going to warn you in advance. So when oh, I first met Tom King at New York Comic Con a number of years ago, it was right when that Grayson Future Send issue had come out. And I went up to him and I told him how much I enjoyed that and explained the multiversity connection, whatever. And he gave me a copy of his novel, which I still have not read, sitting on my shelf. It's it's called A Once Crowded Sky, and it's about like the fall of superheroes or something predictably Tom Kingy like that. But there's the the cover image looks almost exactly like page uh, page four of our PDF, with Superman kind of in the sky, like looking down upon what's happening. That's like the exact cover image from his novel, and uh, mm. it just seems to me like this is Tom King rehashing himself a bit. Um, doesn't this seem like the ultimate Tom King story in a certain way? Um, yeah. Yeah. I will say this, and maybe this is a hot take. The single best thing that Tom King has done on Batman is introduce all the... the is it Batman Burger? Bat Burger. Bat Burger, yeah. Yeah. Best thing he's done. Yeah, that's the best. Yep. Yep, I agree. The KGBLT is a dumb joke, but I laughed at it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Talk about a nut face, by the way. Uh, page four, Catwoman. Look at it now, boys. Page four, Catwoman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm finding it difficult to articulate, like, new information to our listeners about why I don't like Tom King's Batman. Um, I, I think at this point it's it's becoming pretty clear that Tom King's Batman is uh, what's what I'm looking for here. Like it's 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 one of those things that it, it is clearly it has its fans, but it also has its fair amount of detractors. And I don't think that anything is going to convince 
the other side that that their adversary is correct here. Um, yeah, but I feel like most people like it. I feel like we're in the vast minority. Maybe. Um, I mean, that's certainly a possibility. But I, I also don't know if everybody has to think about the book as much as we do. Yeah, that's true. Okay, here's here's maybe a, a new example, like a fresh thought about Tom King's Batman that I haven't had before, but kind of explains a lot. Like this last scene where he's laying in this hospital bed and then Harley Quinn shows up, mm-hmm. and like this was the plan all along. I guess part of what bothers me about Tom King's Batman specifically is that he does these like twists or uh, these like long game chess matches that Bruce will have. And the twist or whatever the, whatever the end game is never makes any sense to me. And so I know we don't know why Harley Quinn's here yet and why he's expecting her to like, why he's the, why she's his ace in the hole, you know? And I know that's going to come next issue, but I guarantee whatever it is next time around is either going to make no sense at all or is going to be extremely underwhelming because it always has been. Did you read this as that he's happy to see her? Well, he said he's... Yeah. Yeah, like he... Like that he that he is expecting her to show up. Yes. He, yeah. This whole thing was planned. I, I guess I didn't read it. He's gonna somehow he manipulate. Figured, he figured it out, but I don't think it's. I don't think he. It was his plan going in. Like, okay. It, uh, you, you think he expected Harley to be there? And like, I think that was, he was orchestrated. He orchestrated Poison Ivy to have Superman punch and kill him, so that she would have to bring in Harley Quinn to fix him. That's how I read it. See, I, I guess I, I just read it um, less that he orchestrated it versus that, like he just figured it out because he's the world's greatest detective, etc. Well, he said after making you hit me that hard. Well, that was obviously part of the plan. Yes. I I guess I saw those as two separate thoughts, but it doesn't make any sense. It's dumb either way. Regardless, whatever yeah. happens in two weeks is not going to – it's not going to be satisfying. It's not going to make any sense. I can already see it because – that's the way this has gone. Like even in the war of jokes and riddles, like whatever twist happens makes no sense. Like when the Joker sticks his hand out to, uh, or was it the Joker or was it the Riddler that got stabbed in the hand? And like, that was the big twist or joke or whatever. It was just so dumb. It made no sense. You know? Yeah. You remember, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I, I forget what the, uh, I forget which, which titular character got his hand fucked up. I, I feel like all the big twists and climaxes and things in this run, they're they're all just stupid to me. They're all like, <laughs> they're they're they all they all don't make like narrative sense. I'm not not like like it's a, this is a superhero comic. They don't have to be realistic, but to me, they there's no like na- like I don't buy what happens in this book. I don't buy that Bruce is gonna. Uh, turn this around on Ivy in some brilliant way (laughs) with Harley Quinn, you know, by using Harley Quinn, by orchestrating this. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't. I don't know if I'm articulating that. No, I understand that. One of the things I, I think about a lot is that, and we've talked about this in the past. How I, I sort of don't like one of the things I didn't like that came as a result of the Grant Morrison run, but wasn't really a part of Morrison's run, but sort of an afterproduct of that, is that I feel like until Priest did something with him in uh, in Justice League just a month or so ago, I feel like Bruce has never been wrong or underprepared since Morrison wrote him. Like, yeah. he has every contingency at his fingertips all the time. And I, I remember us talking about how it would be nice to see a Bruce that isn't quite so... Um, unrealistically prepared for everything. And King has just doubled down on that. Like, King's King's Batman has never been surprised in his life. And that's not a fun comic for me to read. Yeah. I agree. Zach, anything else to add? Uh, no, it's just... It's, it's not good. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad again. <laughs> you know how bad it is. I, I preferred Batman White Knight this week. Oh no! I didn't love oh, it. But I, I, I won't go that. It. I won't. I preferred it to uh, Batman this week. I don't think I. Uh, I that's. Oh. I disliked both. Don't get me wrong. I disliked both, but I preferred this. Obviously, this is written and illustrated by uh, Sean Gordon Murphy, um, who loves to draw people wearing baseball caps in situations where they wouldn't actually be wearing baseball caps. <laughs> uh, I was excited because I thought this was the last issue. And... <laughs> no, sir. We have two more. Yeah. Speaking of not buying it, ooh, that fight between the Joker and Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Nope. Um... Uh, yeah. What about Wolverine Dick Grayson? <laughs> yeah. Also, the Joker, like, oh, God, how predictable was that for him to, like, beat Batman and then be like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> oh, that's so deep, Sean Murphy. That's so... So deep. I feel like this is the classic example of somebody getting the point too late. Like, if Sean Murphy made this book in the 80s, it would have meant something. But it means nothing now. All these ideas are tired and played out and poorly executed. The the book looks nice, but that's about it. Yeah. Again, I think the best stuff here is the like Mr. Freeze stuff. Yep. And that's just totally overshadowed by everything else that's going on. Like that's a that alone is a pretty strong concept to build a a you know kind of standalone bat story around. Um, but uh, it's just like I, I honestly don't even understand why that's in here, other than <laughs> that they need to have this giant ice cannon for some reason. Yeah. Well, and it's it's it is interesting background material. Like, it does give these characters who are admittedly from a different continuity a little more depth, considering the history that the Waynes have ha- apparently had with with Victor Freeze, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, was- and yeah, that prob that probably is the most successful stuff. 
yeah, in this series. I think it absolutely is. Um, and again, like uh, the Joker stuff just bothers me so much. I don't know when uh, there was a point, and it wasn't all that long ago that the Joker was a good character. I don't know when that all changed. I mean, I love the way that Morrison used him. I know that's like Morrison's my favorite, and I'm biased, but I'm I'm I really loved how he was more or less running in the background of Morrison's run rather than rather than ever the prominent villain of it. Right. You know, a little bit goes a long way. I really think that the the jump the shark moment might be the uh, Joker cutting his own face off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Remember when that was like the? I remember before the New Fifty Two happened, everyone like all the creators and stuff who like knew what was going on before we got to read those books. They were all like, the best twist is. Uh, detective number one. Yeah, the best twist is detective number one. It's gonna blow your mind. And I remember thinking, well, this is the dumbest shit I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the the start of Twisted Joker. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> well, let's move away from this garbage comic. Um, let's get to Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands, number uh, number five, written by Tony Isabella, illustrated by Clayton Henry. Guys, I'm really enjoying this miniseries. It's very solid. It's a very like like we've kind of already said in in previous episodes. It's a very solid reintroduction for the character against the like most prominent villain of his tv show it's it's kind of got everything that you expect a black lightning book to have and i guess all i would say is i i hope there's more after this somewhere yeah i i find the character one of the one of the hard things about reintroducing these characters around the time of a tv show is it's so easy to just make it into a comic about the show versus a comic about the character but this appears to have been written before people had seen those first couple episodes of Black Lightning. Um, and so there are some similarities, but it's not you know, a carbon copy of that. And uh, I think that Jefferson Pierce is a... Uh, he's, just, he, he's something a little bit different for the DC Universe. You know, he's a little bit older. He's, uh, he's one of the few characters where I feel like his secret identity truly does mean more to him than his is sort of superhero identity mm-hmm. and that's something that i think this this book does a nice job of of illustrating um i think clayton henry's work i've been a fan of his work on valiant books for a while now i think he does a nice job here um yeah i, I i'm thoroughly enjoying this book it's a little upsetting to me that it's only a miniseries because i feel like they're introducing a number of things that i would like to see play out more than they will in the next issue you know before it wraps up Yeah. Zach, did you read this? I did, yeah. Um, and I agree with what you guys said, but 
the thing that kind of stood out to me the most with this issue and maybe I guess kind of like digging into where you're going, Brian is like, where is this going to go next? I, I feel like the themes of this book and, and just the character of, of Jefferson kind of pair really well with the stuff that's going on in green arrow right now. And I think it would be really cool to see like a, I mean, with I, I mean, I know we're getting these new Justice League books. I feel like Black Lightning and Green Arrow would go really well on a team together, with maybe some other, you know, more like socially conscious type. I feel like like Vixen would be a great fit for that too. Man, go all fucking in, call them the Social Justice Warriors. Do it. Yeah, I mean, for real. Like, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like you remember. Um, I guess maybe it was like a year ago, Marvel did that Occupy Avengers book that was like Hawkeye yeah. and, yeah, and um, Red Wolf, I think, and maybe a couple other characters. Um, I mean, I feel like it. They're they're already kind of like flirting with that line anyway. Yeah, go all in on it. Just go all in, yeah. And especially, like, in light of what happens in this week's Justice League, which we'll get to. Um, yeah. And then you'd also have some TV synergy with, <laughs> obviously, with Arrow and Black Lightning. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more of Black Lightning. I mean, we maybe he popped up here and there, but the last time I remember Black Lightning being a thing was in that was in that DC Universe Presents arc with Blue Devil. And before yeah. that, I don't think he was really involved since the since the Dan DiDio penned Outsiders book. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. I wish they would like. I wish other writers that that's one of the things about the new 52 that was so bad. I felt like um, if a character showed up in another character's book, it was like a big deal. You'd either you'd put it on the cover or you'd put it in the solicit or you would tease it. I wish writers would just feel free to, or be, or have the freedom to, or, or get suggested to just throw these kids. Like I wish black lightning could just show up in the background of somebody's book, you know? It doesn't have to be a crossover, but just have him, like, I wish there was, like, a little bit more, uh, you know, world-building type feel with this stuff. Because what I fear is going to happen is this is six issues of a book that, you know, is tangentially related to the DCU, and then we don't see him again for a while. And I don't, I don't think that everything either has to be you've got your own book or you don't exist. Right, yeah. And you don't have to be part of a team either. Just let us know somewhere that he's out there. You know what I mean? Like like that issue of Green Lanterns where uh, that Tim Seeley wrote maybe a month ago where you just saw like Power Girl and Firestorm just in the background. Yeah. Let's just do more of that, you know? It makes the world feel a lot more full when you're allowed to do things like that. Absolutely. And you know... I don't understand how DC is currently, you know, Black Lightning is like the best reviewed show they've ever had on TV. And there's not a Black Lightning ongoing going on right now. 
Supergirl continues to be popular, and they just canceled the Supergirl book. Like, I don't understand why they can't get their corporate synergy working together in terms of TV shows and comics. Yeah. It's just weird, that's all. Although I am thankful there's not a comic called Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> there that's was. The, there, there was, was. yeah. And well, it was not great. Yeah, but that, that really had nothing to do with the show. No, I... Right, yeah. right. Uh, Sugar and Spike was pretty good. But, I mean, DC in general seems to be pretty bad at corporate synergy. Yeah. So... I don't know. Nicolas Cage is voicing Superman in the Teen Titans Go movie, so well, I think that's pretty good. That is great. <laughs> I am legitimately excited for that Teen Titans Go movie. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. From Krypton. <laughs> something, something, face off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the bees. <laughs> the bees are taking my face off. There, there was like a, a two years period there in the early aughts where I thought, wow, Nicolas Cage is really going to be like the great actor of his generation. Like, <laughs> like after Adaptation and like he did that movie Matchstick Men that's a lot of fun and The Weatherman. It was like, oh, he's really good. And then he took a sharp, sharp turn into The Wicker Man and uh, nothing was ever the same after that. <laughs> oh, well. Um... Let's talk about Deathstroke, boys. Deathstroke number 29, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Diogenes Nevis. Um, this is the finale so of the Defiance arc. One of one of, one I, one of what I, I would say two great comics this week. Maybe three. This was mm-hmm. so good, guys. Yeah. This was really good, yeah. Oh, man. What? what? <laughs> yeah. This is also a lot. Yeah, a lot very, this is a lot. The very first page features uh, Slade <laughs> bending over nude. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, second page shows Tara, or sorry, third page shows Tara trying to kill herself. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very graphically, too. Yes. Um,. Yeah, boy, this is great. Um, what more can you say about Priest Deathstroke at this point? Uh, Keenan Kong was fun again, yep. very, very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, I just want to like point out. So there's that page towards the end where you're you're looking up from Slade's perspective, and you have Doctor Icon. With the car, and then above that you have Keenan, and then up at the top left of the page you have Tara. Uh-huh. I, there's something about that page, like both its structure and just the combination of characters that are in it, mm-hmm. that I feel like encapsulates pretty much everything that's great about this run. Yeah, that's like a if great you had page. to sum it up in the, in just one page, it's right there. <clears throat> Nevis does really nice work on this issue. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, this is one of the most bombastic issues of the run so far, and he manages to, to nail that sort of uh, 
the over the top quality of it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we get some pretty fantastic payoffs in this issue. Yeah, we get to the we get the the real story about the uh, the wintergreen sort of uh, neural transmitter thing that 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 Slade thinks that he has. Yeah, <laughs> or at least we think we do. Well, yeah, I, I, you yeah, never I, know. yeah. I kind of read that as you know he he says he's gaslighting him, but maybe he's reverse gaslighting. Him, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right yeah that's the great thing about this book you never know you never know and yet there's there's all these threads and they're all coming together you know again like all the relationships that have been built over the course of 29 issues are paying off you know um everything that's been going on between uh joseph and slade and isherwood you know um, it's just this real like high familial drama that it's the real way to make Deathstroke a three-dimensional character, you know? I love the bit with him shooting the hostage with the non-lethal uh, bullet that had like the the fake blood in it, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... That actually showed some growth in the character, and I, I don't want. Well, it even says like, "What, what, what has come over me?" <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not killing this person. And but that's great. That's you know that's giving the character some depth and growth without turning him into a hero for no reason. Mm-hmm. Everything Priest has done in this book has been so considered, and and it seems. Like worked over. It seems like every aspect of this has been so well thought out and workshopped, and it's just—I mean—it's quite simply taken as a whole. It is one of the most impressive DC runs in the last ten or so years. He's one of the best. Yeah. Someone's cat agrees. <laughs> That's me. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alright well thank you priest I can't wait for this the next six months basically almost the rest of the year is this Deathstroke versus Batman story and uh, if you guys recall there was the rumor about oh six months or so ago that they had offered um, uh, Slade priest (laughs) to to edit the Bat books Uh do you remember that yeah, and I, I wonder if this is uh, if this story was pitched, you know, early on, and they've been working towards this because, or if this was, you know, inspired by that. But essentially, I can't wait to see what he does with Batman because I've loved what he's done with Batman in Justice League so far. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be good. It's gonna be real good. Yeah. All right, that brings us to um, Green Arrow number thirty-eight. Written by Benjamin Percy, illustrated by Juan Ferreira, and this also feels like the culmination of of a lot of storylines coming together. Yeah, it was weird how the ending of this was basically the, all, the ending of uh, Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Except it didn't play Tick with the Hooters. <laughs> well, yeah, not the very end of okay. Big Daddy, but okay. like the courtroom scene. Hell yes. 
This was, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think Sonny should be acquitted of all charges. <laughs> <laughs> They go together like lamb and tuna fish. Exactly. Spaghetti and meatball? <laughs> yeah, considering we're in America. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my fault your father was sick. <laughs> All right. That's enough. That's problematic because Rob Schneider's a huge uh, yeah. asshole these days. <laughs> uh, so Adam Sandler is playing at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Is he going to sing Piece of Shit Car? I hope, God, I hope so. I will I will pay for a ticket if he sings Ode to My Car. <laughs> uh, side note, the first Adam Sandler album, they're all going to laugh at you, coming out on vinyl for Record Store Day, guys. Oh, get your, God. Get your deposit in now. But uh, no, uh, on the like Facebook ad I saw for this concert, it says, um, and with special guest Rob Schneider, and I just felt like saying, isn't isn't that true of every day of Adam Sandler's life? <laughs> that Rob Schneider's a special guest, like showing up and you know, eating his pizza and uh, you know. Well, he's he's like uh, Norm Macdonald in, in Billy uh, Madison. Billy Madison. He's just sitting in the pool, yeah, doing his own thing, <laughs> waiting for Diddy Magazine Day. Yeah. Hey, where's Billy? Yeah. That's my that's my Norm. What day is it? October. Uh, all right this this has been adam sandler chat this Uh, has been 90s comedy chat yet again oh to both willie okay um glenn (laughs) gulia and now the beating of a high school of a high school spanish teacher um okay anyway moving on i swear at Um, a medium pace Oh man! So Zach, what do you think of this issue of Green Arrow? Get us off this tangent, please. Uh, I'm sorry, you've got me in such an Adam Sandler haze. <laughs> um, this was fine. Is okay. So I was actually trying to look if this was um yeah. So with the next issue, we have Lansing and Kelly taking over, right? And as far as I know, we don't have another um, Percy solicited issue. So do do we think this is the 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 end done. of his run? You think he's done? I believe so. Yep. Yes. It sure feels like it. Yeah. Um. I mean, that last page. The last page is the reverse of the Green Arrow Rebirth cover, where right. Ollie's looking very serious, holding the arrow in front of his face and here he's smiling so you know i think percy's done with him and the other thing i really like about this so so like so oliver queen like he's in court with the help of that um presumed dead girl he essentially like proves his living dead girl (laughs) little rob zombie humor i got it yeah i'm I'm in the back of your i'm in the back of your dragula okay okay um, oh god okay um but anyway uh you know he pretty much you know proves his innocence and is a hero again to everybody and you know this, this the the dino lance home for wayward kids he creates for his uh for his honey the Derek you know the center for kids that can't read good yep exactly yep the, the, the urban achievers yeah the dino lance urban achievers yeah. 
Um, how do we how do we feel about the Justice League basically just like coming in and ob- obstructing justice essentially? That's <laughs> what they do. Yeah. I also liked that Percy didn't shy away from calling him a social justice warrior again. Yep. You know that was the big thing at the beginning of Rebirth. He he used that term and it was almost like purposefully provocative towards people who you know are maybe conservative or just think that that's a you know that SJW. You know they're mad at SJWs all the time. Um, it would have been easy to sort of drop that from his act as the book went on, and he really didn't. So I'm glad that he embraced that because um, you know say what you want about uh, the term, but that fits Ollie pretty well considering the way that he's his character's been portrayed for decades now, you know? Yeah. That's what he should be. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this this issue shows maybe some of the, the problems with this run a little bit of just how things maybe just kind of too conveniently come together at times and that, that stuff with the Justice League was a little bit hokey, as was, you know, him starting, you know, the Diana Lance center and all that. it just it, it seemed a little bit you know heavy handed but the, the book is just so charming and so well considered in parts that it, it let it, you can look past some of those more um, some of those less subtle moments perhaps mm-hmm. um, and I do feel like it's given a number of characters stuff to do like I like all the Emmy stuff I've liked pretty much all the Diana stuff even though Diana singing that song about Ollie was a little weird. Um, <laughs> uh, Who among us has not sung yeah. a song like that for our significant others? Piece of shit car. <laughs> Diesel gas sucks my ass. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Now I have a song stuck in my head all th- the rest of the night. Thank you, Vince. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to say that, you know, uh, I feel like we've got a lot of Juan Ferreira's work in this book has been very action-heavy and has been sort of with a lot of the uh, the more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess we, we haven't seen him do as much character work in this book as, as maybe like the Otto Schmidt stuff was a little bit more of that sort of more grounded character-based stuff. But I thought uh, Ferreira did pretty well here with this with the courtroom stuff. Do you guys agree? Oh, yeah, I thought Ferreira was great in this. Um, you know, as much as I love Schmidt, I thought Ferreira was right up there with him throughout the whole run. Um, I th- Yeah, I thought this was really good. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have somehow found a way to give, like if this is P- Percy's last book, I wish they would have found a way to give Sh- Schmidt like a segment of it. Agreed. Yeah, just mm-hmm. to celebrate the work that the two of them did on it, but uh, but it's it's fine that they didn't. That's all right. And again, like this is one of those books that I think when it started, we were all pretty skeptical of it because Percy's track record up to this point was not great at DC. Yeah, and uh, I'm really glad he was on this book for as long as he was. Yes, it's weird. I I hated his uh, pre Rebirth Green Arrow. Yep. He only had he only did like I don't know twelve issues or something of that, but uh, if if that, 
but the tone was all wrong. It was really weird and, and, and dark at times. And so I had reservations and I was really surprised the way that it, I feel, I felt like he took the opportunity of rebirth to sort of recalibrate his take on the character. And I, I thought it worked out extremely well. Agreed. Agreed. If this is the end, fare thee well, Ben Percy. So I got very scared looking at the cover of this Americans <laughs> issue. I was going to comment on that. Yeah, did Zach, I... did you notice? Um, I mean, I I think so. What what exactly are we getting at here? Yeah, Tim Seeley's Tim, name. Tim name. <laughs> Wait, what? I, I thought it was written and illustrated by V. Ken Marion. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I liked, I liked where this arc was going. Don't do this to me, DC. I mean, to be fair, Deacon Marion could be Hemingway. Yeah. I wouldn't know, but, you know, it's just... Again, and that looks like something that's fixed on the comicsology thing. That's why, like, I... A lot of... I feel like a lot of the, like, weird errors that we catch are just on the review PDFs. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. I'm sure they are, too. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. <laughs> I got a little scared there for a second. Although I think there is another error because it um, has the comicsology cover has Baginda on art, and oh. I think <laughs> it's it's actually V. Ken Marion. Yeah. Oh, so. oh, it's, oh it's V. Ken Marion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't hate V. Ken Marion's art. I don't. It's just it's very '90s inspired. It is very '90s. As somebody who's currently reading John Byrne's Wonder Woman, it is very '90s. Yeah. Uh, although I will say, if I didn't already have a Twitter handle, it would be Equilibrian. <laughs> you can change it. I'd rather not. <laughs> I liked this issue a lot, though. I really like. I like the the flavor that Tim Seeley brought to Green Lanterns. Um, I like that they're finding themselves in this like esoteric and yet not like world ending situation, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so much of green lanterns for the last five, 10 years has been these like big, uh, end of the world stakes type things, you know? And I, I like that this is just like a, a weird human trafficking. I mean, I don't like human trafficking, but, (laughs) but I like that. That's good old fashioned, wholesome, Human trafficking situation. Exactly. Yes. No. No. I just like that. That's the focus. I like that. That this little corner of the galaxy where this thing is going on is the focus. It's just. It's different. Um. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the humor, the variety of character types. Having scraps around is awesome. I like Night Pilot. Uh, now you guys say something. Zach, go ahead. Um, this was fine. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. I. I mean, it's not great, but it's it's real. I I I. I'm looking forward to when I when I when I pull up the issue. I think I want to read this. And I haven't said that about a Green Lantern title in a while. Yeah, I don't think I could go that far. Um. But I mean, yeah, this arc has been. I I actually think it's pretty safe to say this is probably the best arc of this book so far. 
I think this is probably the best Green Lantern arc in either Green Lantern book since Rebirth. I don't know. I maybe I really liked some of that early Hal Jordan stuff. There were I, f- I feel like there are a couple things early on that I liked. But yeah, yeah, I mean you're probably you may be right. You may be right. I guess the only thing that's like coming to mind, I liked that Larfley's Brainiac arc a lot. That was kind of fun. Didn't Sexy Lobo have a cameo in that arc? He did, yeah. <laughs> Stupid Sexy Lobo. Um, it's like he's wearing nothing at all. Fragging nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, Vince, do you have two words to say about Harley Quinn or no? It stinks. There we go. All right, let's talk about Justice League, number 40, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Pete Woods. Um, that cover. Oh man, that cover Are you is, kidding me? is so great. Everything That's part it. of the issue. <laughs> Zach, Zach, you you are Deathstroke, the mercenary. This book's back on my uh, back on my hit list. Why, man? I just don't like it. You don't like the Justice League using their combined powers to do wonderful things? Oh, it's just all so... I just thought this was not great. I mean, I, and the whole the whole crux of the issue of, like, oh, well, some of us are going to have to die. Wait, nope, just kidding. Also, Killer Frost still isn't great. Even though she should be. See, I think they're. I think they're doing pretty good. Well, I mean, it's more of like everybody still being really kind of like crappy to her. Yeah, but I feel like she's actually like defending herself pretty well. I guess, and I'm no, I just uh, I don't like this. I will say this: I love Pete Woods. This issue was a little shakier than. Look at those first couple issues Woods did. Was this this was Woods? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yep. Oh, I didn't even realize that because it yeah it doesn't. It's it's, it's a lot shaky. different. Yeah. Huh. There were some pages that were great, and there were some that were a little shaky. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I I really enjoyed this issue. I think that this is the closest in tone that I've seen a Justice League book since Rebirth that I want to read. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I love the interaction between the two Justice Leagues. I mean, well, even yeah, I'll even agree with that. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't care for this. Priest has a Priest has a really good handle on the two Justice Leagues and like highlighting how they're different. Yeah, but not not like not like having to point straight to it and like. You know, like like nobody's standing around saying oh, our teams just won't get along. You know, <laughs> like yeah. no, it's just how very clearly highlighting the different ways that the two teams operate. And I thought I thought this was a really compelling issue. I agree. Did you notice? Did you notice the comment about how the only Justice League members that really matter are the Trinity and Flash? Yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> which feels like like obvious no justice setup. Yep. Yep. And then Harley Quinn is the fifth one that matters when she joins the Justice League. That's yeah. gonna be her. Now, I, I thought that this had, you know, Aquaman fighting in zero gravity, which is a kind of a fun idea. I liked the sort of how out of control the last, you know, half of the book is when they're trying to figure out how they can save the the watchtower and and have no one die. Like it was it was this breakneck insanity that I really enjoy. I love it when the Justice League seems like they're up against something that's that's crazy insurmountable. You know, Vince was saying that he's sick of the Green Lanterns being up against that. And I understand why you don't want every book to feel this way, but I feel like Justice League is a book that can feel this way. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about the end of the world. It was just about the end of the Watchtower and the, possibly the end of a couple of members of the team. It just seemed to me to be so... Um, like, it, it was, again, everything Priest is writing lately just seems like he has it so perfectly planned out and so perfectly mapped, and there there's a lot going on here, but it all tends to work. I don't know. I don't know, Zach. I don't know what your problem is, man. I, I don't feel like this is anywhere near Deathstroke in any way. Like, I don't... I, I just, like, I I still don't think this book's anywhere near that. But I, I'm not saying it's as good as Deathstroke, but... I just don't think it's... Just, I mean, it's fine. I just, like, it's kind of fun. I just don't think... I would give this maybe like a, a like a solid high six something, maybe a low seven. That's fair. That's not a bad. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'd probably give it like an eight. I'd give one member of this podcast a, a high six. Let's put it that way. That's fair. If it's a six point nine, I'll take it. <laughs> nice. We um, only have tens on this show. Yeah, that's true. Oh. Uh, I meant to say this during the Black Lightning review. Did you guys notice how there's the character who, of course, is like a week away from retirement that dies? But did you see what the name of the bar they go to toast him is? No, uh, I probably did, but uh, McBain's, which is which is <laughs> the perfect Simpsons joke. Have a salmon puff. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Ah. <laughs> All right, that brings us to Nightwing, the untouchable Nightwing. It's not a comedy. <laughs> number four, <laughs> number forty. Guys, uh, I got to the last page of this issue, and I laughed out loud because this arc is not over yet. <laughs> I, I really thought this was going to be the end of the arc. I was waiting for it, and uh, nope, <laughs> nope. Just keeps going. So, so wait, what what number is this? This is forty. Forty. Okay. Is this not the sixth issue of this? It is. It, it is. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. Also, Dick fucks a fish. So yes, he does. Or a, squ- a squid. A sorry. Squid, yeah. A squid. The shape of water too. Um, yeah, yep. I I will say uh, again another missed opportunity that this arc isn't called My Name Is Judge. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Judge. Judge, my name is. Uh, <laughs> that am silly. <laughs> 
Oh, Franklin T. Bluth. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, he's it's said not, some things that white America's not ready to hear. Exactly. <laughs> Let's just say um, that's not easy. All right. Um, this is, isn't good, this isn't a good comic. Dick Grayson's such a good character. He's not a hard character to root for. This shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. Oh, is there, well, is there one, one more time. <laughs> one more, like, maybe... Maybe one more time. No, no, issue 42 is uh, Lansing and Kelly. Okay. For a right. one-off. It looks like we got a few one-offs coming up. We got them, then we've got uh, Michael Morisi on an issue. And then Ben Percy's taking it over. Yeah. All right. I, I will say there are a couple of pages that Bernard Chang... I, I like Bernard Chang a lot, but there were a couple of pages in this particularly he killed. There were some really, really nice pages here. Um. But again, just a totally vapid plot. Yeah. Dick having all the uh, the like squid sucker marks, suction marks all over his body. That that was fun. That was something you don't you don't see that kind of attention to detail all the time. Right. Um. But yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, I don't have anything new to say about this stupid judge arc. <laughs> well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll discuss Shade the Changing Woman, Snagglepuss Even, and some more. Oh, Snagglepuss Even. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with the first issue of Shade the Changing Woman, the second volume of this uh, Young Animal series, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Zarconi. And um, I feel like this is... I feel like it's very lucky that we just reread the first 10 issues of Shade the Changing Man. So I feel like that helped me appreciate this book in a little bit of a different way. Um, not that I wouldn't have enjoyed it if we hadn't reread it, but just seeing seeing Rack Shade here was a nice was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you guys think of this book? Oh, my darling. Very good. Yeah. Probably, I mean, pretty easily. I don't know. Deathstroke gives it a run for its money, but... It's up there for best book of the week, I think. They're very different books. They are very different, but just in terms of what they're trying to do and like how well they do it, both very good. Yeah. Yeah, this is some next level shit, I think. Just the way that like... I don't want to go on a rant here, but, like, just the way that it deals with 
something of a time. There's there's been a time jump, you know. Uh, her high school friends are graduating, right? And the way that it deals with that point in time and the feelings that you feel and like entering adulthood or moving on to your next thing, but then like it somehow weirdly through the eyes of an alien who's inhabited this different body who has access to this madness cloak, like all of it's filtered through that. And it's just so beautiful the whole time. Like, I don't know how to describe some of like the stuff that I felt while like, while reading this, you know, mm-hmm. because, because there were times when obviously I don't like, physically relate to what's on the page because it's insane right and yet there's some feeling there that you're like oh absolutely i understand what this is you know they're like feeling alone or like missing a bunch of your friends and or like popping in like when she pops into college uh and seeing this friend for like the first time in two years you know it's all very weird because she's got the madness, but a lot of it's also really relatable. So much of that to me has to do with, uh, Zarconi's art. Mm. She's just able to, to, to get such emotion out of every car- every panel. Like even th- there's a panel where, uh, I'm trying to find it now. <laughs> yeah, here it is where, uh, where Shade is in the bathtub and she's like playing with this like purple hippo doll that then her friend oh, what's his name I can't think of, I can't remember his name uh uh River Squamo yeah River uh where he like he like pops out of the uh like the face of the uh of the hippo and like in the panel before you see him she has this like forlorn look on her face and she just looks so sad and then he's popping out of there and he's like slide a little smile. And it just shows you so much about the character's relationship. And there's a million panels like that where just people have these very subtle expressions that, that give you such insight into who their characters are. And nothing beats you over the head. Nothing is over the top. It's just a subtle book that is, again, doing some absolutely insane stuff. And mm-hmm. should be over the top and should be at times too much. But it never gets there because Zarconi's art just grounds it in such reality every character her, her facial reactions are are some of the best in comics right now she just has such a mastery on these characters and what they're feeling yeah um i i do really want to second what you were saying about having just read shade the changing man and i feel like it's really interesting how this opening segment acts as kind of a bridge between like obviously Shade the Changing Girl, Milk Wars, but even I think kind of in a way Shade the Changing Man too. Mm-hmm. It all yeah, I love that opening segment a lot. Um, what do you guys think about um, Mel Melu? Is that his name? Um, her no, Melu was Slade Shades. Um, ex-fiance or whatever what what was uh loma's boyfriend the octopus guy um yeah um oh well either way 
Octopus guy uh, gets a Green Lantern ring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was why. Oh, man. I forgot about that. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's just a very cool way to also, you know, remind everyone that it's this is part of, like... The, the multiverse not, somehow. Not, not DC. Yeah, somehow. Somehow. Like... I mean, if if Young Animal also involves Batman and Mother Panic, why like why would this not? Right. You know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and what a great place to throw it in too with this kind of weird cosmic book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, especially, and you know, maybe we might see more of that with this book kind of taking on a like xenophobic, anti extraterrestrial tone by the end. Mm-hmm. Getting the DEO involved and stuff too. Yeah, the DEO was name checked in this. You're right. Yeah. This is a uh, this is actually really great. I I if Milk Wars coming out of Milk Wars, we get more um, kind of explicit ties to DC concepts rather than you know explicit ties to actual DC continuity. I think that's great. Um, Definitely. I yeah yeah uh, it'd be cool to see some space characters show up in this. We already have Batman stuff in Mother Panic. Cave Carson can do pretty much whatever it wants. Anyone could show up in that book. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fuck you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, super fun. Do you guys think that uh, that the tone of this book, that, rather that the shift in tone in this book from changing girl to changing woman is going to reflect the sort of level of change we're going to see in the other Young Animal books? Or do you think that this goes further or not as far as some of the other books will be going? I think it I think it very well could. I think, th- I think this was the one, like, holdout that I would not have expected to do that. And it is. So... Yeah, I could definitely see it. Yeah, me too, actually, because, you know, um, Mother Panic seems like it will still be pretty similar. Almost, It almost kind of seems like Mother Panic, Mother Panic Beyond, sort of, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and kind of the same for Cave Carson. It's just, you know, the next step, the next phase or whatever. This feels... While it obviously is the continuation of the story, it, it's a pretty big status quo shift, I think. See, I think this is going to be the one that is most that most closely resembles its former its former self. You think so? Yeah, just because I mean, when at first the first ten pages, or so I thought, oh, this isn't going to be like that at all. But then you instantly see her reconnect with her characters, or rather, with her friends from the first volume. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there will be some some differences there, but I think that Cave Carson is going to go into space, it seems, and Mother Pan is going into the future, so both of those seem very, very different than what we've seen in the past. I mean, I guess. I, I, I mean, Cave Carson went to alternate realities. I don't see... That's true. Yeah. Um... I don't know. We'll see. I, I am really excited about the new direction of this book, though. Yeah. Well, without any further ado, let's talk about Snagglepuss, boys. 
Oh, yes, let's talk about Snagglepuss even. Vince, I know this is your shit, so um, I'll just say it was written by Mark Russell and penciled by Mike Feehan. Uh, take it away. Oh, I love this book. I love the framing device that they're on this, like, talk show The Mo thing. Franklin Show. The what? The Mo Franklin Show. Yeah, the Mo Franklin. Is that a real thing? No, Joe Franklin is a, a famous sort of old-timey New York uh, TV host. I think that's probably what it's referencing. But Well, speaking of old-timey New York guys, we got a little uh, Joe DiMaggio and, and Marilyn Monroe. We do. Marilyn Monroe, star of the seven-year itch. It's uh, it's almost we didn't start the fire up in here. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think this is just great. Like, I, I love, I love that this whole issue doesn't really move any plot forward at all. I'm I'm happy that this book is just content to be. You know, I'm happy that Huckleberry Hound found his his uh, gay bar to be happy at fine. He's like happy for the first time in years. Um, yeah, this is just delightful to me. I mean, you I, guys, you guys aren't as hot on this. I enjoy this book. I just think it's, it's not, I'm not as in love with it as you are. And I'm still a little weirded out that nobody wears pants. <laughs> it's just not like conceptually just visually it looks odd they don't have pants on <laughs> well how weird was it for you to see a sasquatch detective popping a squat on the toilet that that was a whole other story <laughs> I, I didn't even read that far oh, it was fun oh i can't i hate the art style oh okay i just can't see to me i keep thinking it's a zootopia spinoff it is, but with feces. Yep. Um, um, Zach, what do you think of Snagglepuss at this point? I, it's um, it's like scratching this madman itch, but not in the most satisfying way, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, it's yeah. not peak madman yet. <laughs> it's like season. It's like season six madman. Remind me of which season season six was. Is that when Burt Cooper dies? I feel like I liked season six. <laughs> All right, season uh, the second half of the last season, season seven, the very end. These are all things I like. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I mean, I like season this. one. I, like this. I, I don't know. I, I, I now I really am going to have to think about which season of Mad Men this most is. All, all right, right, it's the episode. It's the episode. The single episode of Mad Men where Roger Sterling wears blackface. <laughs> All right, we have to do this. Is Snagglepuss Don Draper? Is uh, which would be Huckleberry Hound, Roger Sterling? They're all Sal Romano. <laughs> yes, oh, that's done. Oh, that's the easiest joke. Oh, boo! It's, no, but but they but are it's the too, most like, true. The, tor- the tortured artist, like not just not just because they're sure. gay in a time in a time where you couldn't be gay, but like the tortured artist thing, struggling you, to get out. You tell this me is how- what season is that where he's like. Really, kind of at the forefront. Three, season three, yeah. Three, okay. So this is season three, Mad Men. Oh, yeah. You're telling me the Huckleberry Hound wouldn't cut his nipple off? <laughs> Come 
come on. So Huckleberry Hound is... Uh, He's Ginsburg, obviously. Ginsburg. Yeah. All right. He lives with his dad in a sad apartment. He'll eventually go insane and cut his nipple off. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joe DiMaggio and... is essentially... What was that comedian from uh, season oh, two? G- Jimmy Barrett. Yeah, he's essentially Jimmy Barrett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, this book is fine. It's, it's fun. I enjoy it. Not my favorite book of the week, but you know, it's good. All right, let's talk about, um, Superman number 42. Written by Tomasi and Gleason, illustrated by Gleason, and featuring, let's call it 80% too much Bizarro speak. <laughs> Almost unreadable. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was supposed to be nonsensical. I don't think you're, if, I feel like if you're sitting there actually trying to figure out what he's saying, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because essentially all this opening segment was was kind of a bizarro recap of the first little bit of Tomasi and Gleason's Superman. Right. Even down to the really nice, um, the like lighted, the lights in the grass, only it's red instead of blue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was really cool, the way that it reflected... Yeah, and the and the scene with the the cat and the hawk. Only in this case, it's hot girl. Yeah, <laughs> yes. which was weird. Yes. Um. Yes, that's great. But once we got past that, and we're just the like Superman family stuff. It's like the book is back again for just this one fleeting moment. Yeah. It is weird how much, how much like instantly I was like, oh, this is just like the Superman that we really really liked. Yep, because it's, it's back. It's, it's good it's, again. I wonder if I wonder how much of that is just that Gleason's artwork just works so much better on this book than anyone else's does. Well, that helps, but it's also the locale, like the the focus on family and uh, focus on the family. Is that what you said? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> No, those words are not spoke, spoken in this house. Um, <laughs> oh, um, that's Jappy. <laughs> um, you know, again, not not to be dickhead continuity boy, but is this a different Bizarro than the Bizarro we're seeing in Red Hood? And I mean that very sincerely. Yes. Oh, for sure, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, because that Bizarro was like is the clone, a clone, the clone. And yeah, yeah. Okay. This is this is more. This is um, a capital B Bizarro. Yeah, yeah, and this is very much you know riffing off the I think the representation of Bizarro world that Johns did in Action Comics. Right. Way back when. Yeah. Um. I. Uh... There's nothing really wrong with the first half of this book, but like you guys said, once that once they get out of Bizarro World, it's it was just a delight to read, and uh, I'm really sad that that their run on the book is coming to an end because I feel like the run has not been 
it's disappointing for a different reason than like the Ben Percy Green Arrow coming to an end, because I feel like Tomasi and Gleason had so much more they could have done with the character, especially if they had gone back to sort of the the the, the themes and tones of the early issues like this book does. Um, but I'm also glad we're not going to have more uh, of Superman like digging up bones from the river and bringing them to family vacations and shit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else to add? I'm trying to think of a of a even more awkward thing that Bendis has done than than that, and say that he's going to do that with Superman. Um. Can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. Decompress everything to unreadable well. levels. <sighs> God yep. bless you, sir. Thanks. All right, let's let's close it out with the Wild Storm, number twelve, written by Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt. Uh, Zach, I want to start with you about this. What do you think of this issue? Um, it was really good. I actually I liked it a lot. Um. This is actually probably one of my favorite issues in a while. Um, I really liked the the kind of like cat and mouse game that they had going, and also how tense the situations were, and yet no one was really freaking out or anything. Everyone was just kind of, other than um, Bendix, he was freaking out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the tone of the issue was just a lot of fun. This cool cyber cyber warfare thing. Um, and we, when you really think about it, not a lot happened in the issue. It was a lot of being told what was happening and a good bit of action, which this comic is probably... This is probably the best action, just straight-up action comic that is out right now. I agree with that, for sure. Um this uh, middle like shootout segment, we've seen things like that before. It also kind of reminds me of the the samurai showdown that we had. I think an issue seven or eight, something. Maybe yeah, maybe yeah, maybe it was even more recent than that. But um, I really do enjoy those issues. Um, Davis Hunt does that stuff so well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, Vince, what did you think of this issue? I loved it. I'm I'm totally on this book's wavelength. Kind of the the like, I yeah, I love the I love how it's it's an action book, and yet like half this issue is a very like closed, uh, you know, computer room halt and catch fire type tension drama. You know, very modern in that way, and um, and. You know, we've we haven't criticized the book for this, but we've pointed out how slow moving it's been, and, that, and now we're at the halfway point. And I really feel like this issue is the catalyst for like the shit hitting the fan. Like, I feel like it's going to ramp up now. And these next, I could be wrong. Like, just watch Ellis take the next 12 issues and slow burn them to the finish too. But, but I feel like this is the point where the shit hits the fan, right? 
like that guy gets murked in the car. Uh, you know, Mitch gets murked, and uh, John Lynch shows up at the end looking like Sam Elliott. Extremely Sam Elliott, uh, John Lynch here. Now I'm and scrolling. I, to see, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that not? Is that not Sam Elliott? I like your style, dude. Sometimes there's a man. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, got any good sarsaparilla? <laughs> we got that Sioux City sarsaparilla. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, no, this is this is a great book, and this this really does feel like a turning point for the book too. For anybody who did think it was too slow or something, I feel like this is where everything's going to get big and weird. And I'm I'm surprised we're halfway through this book and we haven't heard about the other two titles that are coming. I wonder how much of that is just due to delays and things. I'm sure, but like. Yeah, I'm sure. We were told there was going to be a uh, Wildcats book mm-hmm. at some point. Um, was that going to be... There was one title that he said was going to turn into something else halfway through. And I guess I assumed that was just The Wild Storm. Mm-hmm. But so far, we have we have no clue about that yeah. either. So. so the thing I want to say about this book... Is going to seem at first like it's an in, like it's a knock on the book, and I don't mean it that way. I like how we're twelve issues in, and we have a fair idea of what's going on, but we really have no idea what's going on in this book. Like so much of it is still just sort of couched in this like corporate speak, this rivalry between these two organizations that both seem shadowy and shady and whatever, and there's this intensity to the book that you'd think would be undercut by how obtuse it can be in the moment. But I, but I actually think that's a really good thing about the book. I think that the book gives you that that feeling of just being thrown off the deep end into something and not quite knowing how to react. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Well, I think what's interesting about that is that, as far as I can tell, and I could be wrong... Both of these organizations or companies were just going about their business. And this chance event happened that happened to cross, to cause one of them to cross the other. And everything since then has just been because of that. There's no like, there's no diabolical plan or end game as far as we know for either of these organizations. Right. It was merely something that disrupted this sort of parallel travel that they were on. And I love that. I love that, the, that that right now there's not one shadowy figure manipulating the whole thing. It's more like a, a game of chance, basically. And there are aspects that there there are aspects that could be a greater enemy that have kind of been on the periphery. I'm thinking about how like once or twice we've seen the interactions with the, the, the demonites, mm-hmm. right. But, the, but, the, but they haven't been around either. And so it's really interesting that they're Warren Ellis is so confident in his storytelling that, that it's these two parallel tracks that are like chaotic neutral or something, at least to the outside world. 
and 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 now they're in like a pissing contest, you know, because of because of this technology that made it from one to the other, you know. Right. Yeah. It's it's awesome. I love that as a storytelling device. It's also really interesting that this book is being used to set up sort of the Wildstorm universe in general. But we've seen like we saw um Oh, who was the character that popped up at the very end of an issue recently? Was it uh was it Jack? Jack Hawksmore, yeah. Yeah, he did yep. show up, right? Where he just like walks up the side of a building. Yeah, he yeah. Yeah. He did. I feel like, you know, we see that character introduced, but then we haven't seen anything about him since. And we may not see anything about him again in this in this book. It's just it's sort of being used as the it sort of has two roles. This book is telling this very specific sort of story of these two corporations, but also it's establishing the world that the rest of the books are going to play in. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's weird to me that this book has a finite ending. Because this feels like the type of book that, for the most part, would run throughout, you know, for as long as the, as the line is going. Because it is that linchpin book. But yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Anything else to add, boys, about this week's comics? Um, not the not the best week in my opinion, but not not a terrible week either. Very mixed. Yeah. yeah. Next week's a big one because of uh, Eternity Girl number one. Mm, yeah, yeah Eternity Girl, Mister Miracle. Yeah. Um, Action nine ninety nine. I was gonna say that the last. Uh, the last proper uh, Jurgens issue before that that sort of wrap up special in a few months in a few weeks rather right uh, yeah uh, good stuff wild and wacky stuff and uh, yeah so, so Jer- wait so Jurgens has the the action comic special yes and does he does he have a story in Action One Thousand? He does, yes. He does. Okay, so there will be yeah. Okay. But I don't I don't know if that story necessarily ties into the story he's been telling the whole time. Right. Okay. Yep. Did you hear what the name of it, that story is? Uh, he, yeah, he said it, and I don't remember now. But... I believe it's for the city that has everything. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Great title. Did uh Did either of you read the Tom King Clayman story that got released. I I have been waiting because I kind of want to read it in the issue. Yeah, but I'm, I'm same waiting. Here. Yeah. Same yeah, here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, please join us next week to talk about these and more books. Uh, until then, go to multiversitycomics.com where you can see, read, and hear us do all sorts of things. And you can also follow all three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. And I'm at SirFox89. And until next time... Uh... Do it for your mama. <laughs> I was trying to think of an Adam Sandler reference. Nothing better than that, though. Do it for your mama. We subject ourselves to something that no human should. <laughs>